so I have three younger brothers, and um, one of the just kind of common predictable things about us, you could say, you know, just sinful nature maybe, but one of the predictable things about us for all of our growing up years is that any time we would get together, especially it seems like once I started going to college and once we'd spend some time apart, when we'd come back together, there of course were all the pleasantries and all the catching up, but we would always have to have physical altercations just to find out who had gotten stronger, who was a little bit taller, who had a little more moxie than the last time we fought. And, you know, it, it's been a while. I was just thinking maybe they just are taking it easy on me because I'm not getting to the official old stage or something. But we haven't had a good, you know, just getting after it in a while. So I don't know what the deal is. But the last time I remember my younger brother Brent, when we fought, uh, there was definitely blood involved, uh, definitely coming off the back of a pickup and you know it was it was it was pretty rough I don't really want to do that again and I remember we broke so my dad's a a builder and and built the house that we lived in growing up and so we had these nice oak cabinets that he had designed and his he and his friends had built you know in the late 70s and uh, we definitely broke one of those doors in a real you know severe way fighting around the fireplace one day uh, I just remember, I mean, we were always, always fighting, always something to fight about. It was just that thing. And then you add on top of that, that when we talk to each other, we don't use respectful language. So instead of calling each other by name or hello, my brother, we have all these awful things that we call each other. And um, we, we now have to check and see if there are kids in the car on speakerphone, you know, before we start talking. So to use those normal titles. And it's the same way, you know, with your friends. And if you really love somebody... You give them a hard time, right? There's some banter. There's some engagement. So if, if, if I know you pretty well, I've gotten to know you, there's, there's a little play. There's a little back and forth. There's some fun involved. And so this is how we grow this banter, this wrestling. We do that with the people we love the most, the people we're closest to. But we tend to find it strange to have that kind of raucous behavior when we approach God. And I don't know why that is. But I think this story helps us maybe to have a little confidence to keep a little of our wrestling moxie, a little bit of our name-calling playfulness, even when we approach the God who created us. The story that Luanne read for us, uh, the setting is in a pagan Gentile territory. Jesus has been in Jewish territory. He's been communicating with Jews, with his disciples. He's been having it out a little bit with the scribes and Pharisees recently. Now he's, he's been talking to his disciples, dealing with a little bit of disappointment. They're not, there's some things they're not picking up on. He's also been busy. He's a little bit tired. He goes to this pagan Gentile territory, um, and he enters a house, and Mark tells us that he did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. He did not want anyone to know he was there, or in our terms, that's why Texans go to New Mexico, right? That's why you go to New Mexico or Colorado in the summer. You want to get away and you don't want anyone to know that you're there. That was one of the early arguments we had when Facebook was a thing, when we would go to the mountains or something and Amber would like check in, oh, we're just at a great coffee shop, having coffee with husband, you know, happy anniversary. I'm like, don't tell anyone we're here. I don't want anyone to know that we're up here. They might find us. You know, somebody else might be in Pecos, New Mexico. But when you want to get away, you want to get away. Jesus is away. And immediately, a woman. Right? He's away. He's in a house. He wants to be hidden. Immediately, 
a woman. So already we're kind of wondering what is going to happen. There's an interruption. And we get a rap sheet on this girl immediately. We learn about this character. We get a lot of stuff about her. The first thing is that she's a woman. The interruption is immediate. She is a Greek Gentile. She's a pagan from Syrian Phoenicia. She has a demon-possessed daughter. And if all that wasn't enough, she comes in the house and she throws herself down at Jesus' feet. Now, I learned a word from Beatrix Potter. Did anyone else read Beatrix Potter when you were a kid or to, to your kids, the uh, Peter Rabbit stories? One of my kids' favorite Beatrix Potter stories was Squirrel Nutkin. Okay, if you've never read Squirrel Nutkin, you really ought to. Okay, it's a great, it's a great book. I know you all think I'm crazy. But Beatrix Potter taught me this word impertinent, which I really didn't know before. And basically the whole story is Squirrel Nutkin, who is an impertinent squirrel, and he ends up kind of paying for it to the tune of losing his tail. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a bad deal. You know, he, he pushes the owl a little too far. So impertinence. That's the word I thought of when I thought of this woman in this interruption. Impertinence. This lady, she's impertinent. She's right here in the mix. And she kept on begging Jesus. She didn't beg him one time. The tense is an ongoing tense. She just kept begging Jesus. But of course, we read a little further and we think about the story and we realize she's not really being impertinent because any of you who are parents or grandparents or you've been a teacher and been close to a child, when that child is in pain, when that child is struggling, you go into a mode that we don't even have words for. It's outside of courage. It's outside of strength it's we do crazy stuff for our kids when they're hurting right we will do anything i mean you haven't seen anything until you've seen a mom protecting her bear cub when that child when something's wrong we will try things that we know in our heads crazy we can read it in a textbook and say that'll never work we say i don't care i'll try it anyways because i'm at the point where i'm desperate i'll try anything my kid is sick you tell me they, they stand them on their head and feed them lemon juice out of a garden hose. I'll try it. Whatever it is that might work to get this kid some pain relief, something to change. We know what that's like. It's another level. We do crazy stuff for our kids when they're suffering. All the strikes this woman has against her, all the un, being the most unlikely person who would come to Jesus and interact with him in this way, She has a little daughter and an unclean spirit, and she's in trouble. We relate, all of us, to the desperation of this woman. We've all been there in some way or another, and you can feel the pain in the story. We will do anything for a suffering child. So, what we know of Jesus, when we come to Jesus in desperation and hopefully we have that view of God, that understanding of God, that God is always willing to listen and he's always there. And so we come to him in desperation. We cry out to him. And the first image we see is, you know, the stained glass window in the back of the church here with Jesus cradling the lamb. And we know that, you know, always open arms, always receptive, always going to be there for us. 
And that's what we expect in the story. You know, Jesus, please, 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 my daughter, unclean spirit, I know I'm a pagan. I know I'm all, all the strikes against me, but can you do something for me? And it's very striking what Jesus says to her. Jesus says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And I just, you know, I closed the book on that. I'm like, what in the world is happening? And it's, it's not just me. It's not just you. Uh, interpreters have wrestled with this text forever. It's been a struggle. There was a guy up in New York who was a famous um, Episcopalian uh, priest in, in the 1900s, and he, he wrote a series of sermons called Things I Wish Jesus Had Never Said. <laughs> and, and this was the first one that he preached, The Things I Wish Jesus Never Said, because it just seems out of character. No, um, we have to feed the kids first and not the dogs. And, of course, to call someone a dog in that culture, you can go back to David, you can go back through the Old Testament, uh, this was not a nice thing to say. This was not like a dog-loving society where they had their little house pets and stuff. I mean, dogs were more like, you know, coyotes, mangy, strays, and you just didn't want to see around. Foreigners, somebody different than us. Dogs. This is a troubling statement for me. At first glance, what do we make of this statement? Let the children be fed first. It's not right to take the children's bread, throw it to dogs. One answer to the challenge of this statement that Jesus makes uh, in the history of interpretation is to say we tend to dehumanize Jesus, right? And it's true. We do tend to dehumanize Jesus. We think of Jesus sometimes as, as Clark Kent, you know, and he just, he can go in a phone booth at any moment and he just kind of, you know, he could be eating his breakfast and want a little more and just, just poof, let's have a little more porridge or whatever. These just kind of silly, oh, Jesus could have done that. Or when he was a carpenter, I'm sure he never missed a cut. Because he was the son of God, after all, and he could just have this perfect power. Well, Jesus was fully human, right? Our doctrine tells us that. Jesus was fully human. We understand that in the scriptures, in the history of the church. Jesus knew what it was to suffer. He knew what it was to struggle. He knew what it was to lose family members and go through the things that we go through. Jesus knew that. So maybe, says this line of thinking, uh, give the guy a break. You know, is it okay for Jesus to get irritated every once in a while? Is it all right for Jesus looking for respite, not wanting to be found out, to every once in a while just say, just give me a minute. I didn't come over here to help you people yet. I've been working with Jews. Now I'm taking a break. I'm trying to teach my disciples who, by the way, aren't getting it. So I need some time. Like this is an incubator. We came away for a staff retreat here, and you guys are knocking the door down. Why? What is going on? Can't you leave me alone for five minutes? So do we give Jesus a moment of you know, license for irritation? Tend to dehumanize Jesus? Maybe so. Another line of reasoning in the history of interpretation is that Jesus is just stating a commonly held prejudice so that we, the reader, the disciples, the overhearers, will hear it the way it sounds and say, oh, that's crazy, and then realize that's what we were raised to believe. So, oh, we can't take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Uh, highlighting, the, you know, this is what you guys were raised to believe about these kind of people, and Jesus is maybe going to challenge our assumptions. Is this how we view pagan folks with troubled kids? Is this how we view people from another town that we are football rivals with uh, when they have troubled kids, or when they have kids that aren't troubled and our kids are troubled, or whatever the, 
thing is, you know, our commonly held assumptions and beliefs about other people. Maybe Jesus is going to trot this out for us. I think another clue to what Jesus is saying here is just the word that we've heard before, parable. Jesus is offering a parable. Now, Jesus just finished talking to his disciples in a frustrating way earlier in chapter 7, and he's declaring that all food is clean to eat. He says it's not what, you know, is outside a body that makes one unclean, all the washing hands and all that stuff, but it's what is inside that makes a person unclean. All the stuff that comes from within you, you know, the hatred and the guile and all the stuff, that's what makes a person unclean, not whether you washed your hands before supper, as important as that might be. And he's talking to his disciples about that, and he says, Now hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also, again, without understanding? Right? Do I have to spell it out for you guys every time? And remember the parable of the sower. And remember the feeding of the 5,000. And everything that Jesus has done, and the disciples just stand there and scratch their heads and go, Well, now, what what does that mean? What does that mean? And Jesus said, okay. So, and he's gracious and he explains it to them. It's like, I have, to, I have to tell a story and I intend for you to learn something from the story and place yourself in the story, but now I have to spell it out for you. So the woman responds to Jesus' statement in this way. Yes, Lord. By the way, this is the only time in Mark's gospel that someone calls Jesus Lord. The only time. She answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And now we have like a duel of wits. We have a, I mean, this girl's got some moxie. I think we have a female Jacob. Remember Jacob when he wrestled with God and God renamed him in Genesis 32 and he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have wrestled with God and with men, and you have prevailed. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She gets the parable. She gets the parable, and she jumps right in. She, play, she plays, she is the only person to this point to get inside the parable and speak to Jesus on the terms of the parable. She's the first person to get a parable up to this point. Not the disciples, not the Pharisees, but a Syrian Phoenician woman who has a demon-possessed daughter. She's the first one to get the parable. She enters the parable. She challenges Jesus. She's approaching God not only with desperation, but she's not lost her hope. Did you notice that? She wasn't willing to give up hope at first rebuttal. The parable comes out, and rather than just tucking her tail between her legs and walking away, she says, yeah, but even the dogs can be satisfied from these crumbs if the stories that I've heard are true. And if you are the Jesus that I've heard about, and just touching the hem of your cloak, all these things, the crumbs will do. The crumbs will do. 
I this this woman has become my hero this week. <clears throat> she 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 hopes. She doesn't lose sight of hope. And uh hope is, you know, hope we can't pray without hope. The hope when in the virtue tradition when we talk about hope, we we always talk about the Lord's prayer. We kind of line it up. And and you just can't pray without hope. Our Father who art in heaven, we can't say those words from our heart without hope. That there is a God who is our Father who gives a rip to hear our prayers. Now, there's two ways, according to uh, Joseph Pieper, who was a German theologian writing in the 60s, uh, you know, just kind of on the heels of World War II and all that stuff. And, and he talked about two ways that we can miss hope, two ways we can miss the virtue of hope. And the first way is to be presumptuous. So we can miss the perfection of hope and miss prayer in this sense by being presumptuous. And that's by me saying, you know what, I'm okay. I've got it all together. I don't have any need from you or anyone else, so uh, I don't really need to hope for anything because I have what I need. So there's no need for hope. Obviously, this woman with the, the, the challenge of her child, she's beyond that point. She's begging for help. Uh, presumption also looks like, uh, you know, God, I think you owe me something. Because I've done this for you, and I've done that for you, and I've done this, this, and this, and I, I think it's about time that I got what's mine. That's another way to have presumption. But the other way to miss out on hope is despair. It's just pure old despair, giving up, right? Where we just lose and we say, you know, I'm just, I know you help some people and you listen to some people, but I'm not one of those people. All right, God, you don't know what I've done, or maybe you do, but other people don't. And I've got a laundry list of stuff. There's a bunch of reasons why. If you're going to hear anyone's prayers, it'd be somebody besides me. I'm just not worthy. I, I shouldn't even be in the room. And so we give up and we miss hope that way. Uh, I tend to be sheepish. You know, personally, I, I tend to be a little bit sheepish uh, when I approach God. And of course, some of this is good, the fear of God and all that stuff. But I tend to just kind of have a reserved sense of what I'm going to offer and say, oh, Lord, I know, you know, all, all those things that you've all rehearsed and you, you understand, you pray, God, you probably don't have time. God, I probably don't understand. God, you got bigger fish to fry, all those things. I'm beyond help. I'm not worth your time or that sort of thing. Sometimes when we pray for others, we will, you know, you call out a name and the whole room will say, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. You've been in those services, right? Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. It combines the two things that you've got to have for prayer, right? This is this is getting right at hope. Lord, in your mercy, recognizing that without God's mercy, we don't have a place to stand anyways, but we still have the confidence to say, hear our prayer. Listen to us. Right? In your mercy, listen. We've got things to say. We're carrying stuff around. We're desperate here. Listen. Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, writes about this woman. And she, he said, you know, she asks for nothing more than is her due. She took Jesus at his own words, and then he treated her not as a Gentile, but as a child of Israel. She gets what the disciples miss. Right? And Jesus says, well, because of what you said, your daughter is healed. And 
this is the only distance healing that happens in Mark's gospel. And and she goes back and finds her restful, you know, peaceful on the couch. She's resting. Just kind of demonstrates the power, what God is willing to do, what Christ is willing to do for this lady because of the way she approaches, because of where she stands. So what the disciples miss, what I miss, the good news of grace, this woman gets it. And she jumps right in. I love the way that she enters the parable on Jesus' terms and just it just comes right back in there. That banter, that wrestling that we have with our friends and with our family, this woman takes into her prayer to Jesus. I wonder if it's an encouragement to us to maybe cut loose a little bit in our prayer, to cut loose a little bit in our approach to God, to wrestle with God, to be willing to wrestle through the night and be renamed, even if we walk away with a little bit of a limp. To meet God and find His strength. Hebrews chapter 4, verse verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But thanks be to God, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, with confidence. Not because we've got the right formula or because we've got it figured out, but because we have a merciful high priest who knows what it's like to struggle and has walked where we have walked and has recognized what we've recognized. Therefore, hold fast to our confession. Approach the throne with boldness. Don't be sheepish in our request of God. May we be like Syrophoenician woman. May we enter Jesus' conversation on his terms. And may we find ourselves healing and the satisfaction of knowing that someone has met us there. And that this is a God who can handle us wrestling with him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.